Our call to worship this morning comes from the Baptist Union of Great Britain resource book, Gathering for Worship. Among the poor, among the proud, among the persecuted, among the privileged, Christ is coming to make all things new. In a private house, in the public place, in the wedding feast, in the judgment hall, Christ is coming to make all things new. With a gentle touch, with an angry word, with a clear conscience, with burning love, Christ is coming to make all things new. That the kingdom might come, that the world might believe, that the powerful might stumble, that the hidden might be seen. Christ is coming to make all things new. Within us, out with us, behind us, before us, in this place, in every place, for this time, for all time, Christ is coming to make all things new. And now let's come to God in prayer. We pray together. God of the morning, we are glad to be here to offer you our worship and praise. To thank you for the many ways that you bless us. To say sorry for the ways in which we have failed to live as we would wish. To pray for your blessing on people and places in need. Thank you for this new day. For the way that whilst we were all asleep, the sun rose, the birds sang, the leaves unfurled, rivers flowed, and breezes blew. Thank you for this new day, for the fact that already today, when we turned on a tap, clean water flowed. When we switched on the kettle, water boiled, or the toaster and bread toasted. When we opened our wardrobes or drawers, clean clothes awaited us. When we came to church, we found a room prepared, chairs arranged and books ready. Thank you for this new day. But we're sorry for the ways that we have already spoiled this new day. Sorry for angry words or unkind thoughts. Sorry for greedy demands of our own way. Sorry for the rush to get worship over and playtime here. Sorry for wishing time away or for wasting the time we do have. Sorry for forgetting to think about you. Forgive us our faults and failings. Help us to forgive other people. 
Help us to forgive ourselves and lead us ever more closely in the footprints of Jesus. Amen. Now, today's service is the first of our series of six all-age interactive services looking at stories Jesus told, some of the parables in the New Testament, in the Gospels. And it's all-age because it's summer and the Sunday school teachers are rightly having a break and the choir are having a little bit of a break. And so we are all together and we all have to join in, otherwise it's a bit of a disaster and I look very silly. And the theme today is stories that Jesus told about parties. And when you all came in, you should have found an invitation on your chair. And somebody's already said to me, well, whose party is it? Well, that's a good question. So the first thing we're going to do is to think about, suppose you were having a party. Who would you invite? Now, if you can write or if you can draw, you might like to pop some of those down on the inside of that invitation. People that you would invite. But it would also be good if some people would call them out. And I can put a few up on the flip chart. Otherwise, the recording is going to be very weird. So who would you invite to a party? Bob Geldof, okay. <laughs> Good start, that, Leanne. Thank you. Yep, we can be as creative as we want this morning, can't we? Who else would you, anybody like to invite? Could be family. Good, excellent. Anybody else? Or any other groups of people we would invite? Friends, Friends yep. Good, excellent. Any other famous people you'd like to invite? Hillary Clinton. Clinton. Is that neighbours, did you say? Yeah, okay, neighbours. I presume that's your physical neighbours, not the people off the TV (laughs) programme. Hillary Clinton. Anybody else we'd like to invite? This is our um, fantasy party. Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela, okay. Take that, they can be the entertainments along with uh, Bob Geldof. It'll be a good party with all these people at it. One more. Say that again. I haven't got a clue how to spell it. Petra. K V I. Sorry? Petra Kvitova, something like that. Okay, so people we might invite to a party. So we might like to invite famous people. We might like to invite our family, our friends, and our neighbours. Well, we're going to hear the story now that Jesus told. And despite what it says on the order of service, all our readings today are being read for us by Addie. Scripture again is found in the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 1 and verses 7 to 15. 
Luke chapter 14, verse 1 and verses 7 to 15. Once Sabbath, Jesus went to eat a meal at the home of one of the leading Pharisees, and people were watching Jesus closely. Jesus noticed how some of the guests were choosing the best places, so he told this parable to all of them. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place. It could happen that someone more important than you has been invited, and your host who invited both of you would have to come and say to you, let him have this place. Then you would be embarrassed and have to sit in the lowest place. Instead, when you are invited, Go and sit in the lowest place, so that your host will come to you and say, Come on up, my friend, to a better place. This will bring you honor in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who make themselves great will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be made great. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a lunch or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and in this way you will be paid for what you did. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they are not able to pay you back. God will repay you on the day the good people rise from death. When one of the men sitting at the table heard this, he said to Jesus, How happy are those who will sit down at the feast in the kingdom of God? So then we have a question to ponder. And again, you might like to write or draw on your invitation your thoughts on this. We've thought about who we might invite to a party. Famous people, clever people, inspiring people, friends, neighbours, family. But who would Jesus invite? Again, some of you might like to call out your thoughts on that one. Homeless people, thank you. Yes, asylum seekers. I can never remember how many S's in asylum. Thank you. I'm an engineer, not an English teacher. Who else would Jesus invite? Homeless people, asylum seekers? Friends from NA. Friends from NA, thank you. Yep, people from Narcotics Anonymous. Nine lepers who didn't say thank you. 
The nine lepers who didn't say thank you. Excellent idea, that one. Nine lepers. Couple more. Children. Children. Good one. And one more. One more person or group of people that Jesus might invite to the party. Strangers. Okay, good. Now, I could be really controversial, couldn't see. I think he might even invite Saddam Hussein. I don't want me to say he'd accept, but I think he would be invited. So, we have people who we would choose to invite to a party, but Jesus challenges us to think more carefully. Who should be invited if we're doing something special? Who are the people that God wants to invite to be part of God's kingdom, God's party. So we're going to sing the song that is printed on the sheet. I think it's new for most people here. Um, So I'll ask Paul to play it through, the music all the way through for you first. The church is like a table. Now, I want you to imagine that you've been invited to a party. And actually, you don't really want to go. Maybe you're not too keen on the person who's holding the party. Maybe it's just, you know, one of these theme parties and you don't fancy it. Maybe you're just not in the mood. So what excuses might you come up with why you're not going to go? I have to wash my hair. 
Oh, that one was a quick one. Is that one you've used before? <laughs> I have to wash my hair. That's a good oldie one, isn't it? Okay, we have to wash our hair. That's certainly the old sort of chestnut, isn't it? I can't come out. I have to wash my hair. Not feeling well. Not feeling well. Thank you. I'm <laughs> Yeah, you can't argue with that one, can you? Prior engagement. Of course, you know, there is a, a ministerial equivalent to being on call. You just go, I've just remembered I've got a funeral. <laughs> Might be seven o'clock at night, but yeah. <laughs> forgot the date. That's, yeah. Oh, I forgot. Oh, I'm so sorry, I forgot. Yeah. <clears throat> Any other excuses we might come up with if we... Just God, you're quite good at this, aren't you, Jack? <laughs> Carl's broken down. Nothing to wear. One more. <laughs> Your aunt's just turned up. The aunt that you haven't seen for a thousand years. Okay. All these excuses that we... It's quite worrying, isn't it? <laughs> that we can think quite quickly of reasons why we don't go to the party that we don't fancy. We've got to wash our hair. We're not feeling well. We're on call. We've got a prior engagement. We forgot the date. The car's broken down. We've got nothing to wear. Our aunt's just arrived. And there's an emergency funeral. An awful lot of excuses. Mm. Well, perhaps you know and perhaps you don't know. But Jesus told a story where people made excuses not to go to a party. And we're going to hear that read for us now. Luke chapter 14, verses 16 to 24. Jesus said to him, There was once a man who was given a great feast to which he invited many people. When it was time for the feast, he sent his servants to tell his guests, Come, everything is ready. But they all began one after another to make excuses. The first one told the servant, I have bought a field and must go and look at it. Please accept my apologies. Another one said, I have bought five pairs of oxen and and I'm on my way to try them out. Please accept my apologies. Another one said, I have just got married, and for that reason I cannot come. The servant went back and told all this to his master. The master was furious and said to his servant, Hurry out to the streets and alleys of the town and bring back the poor the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Soon the servant said, Your order has been carried out, sir, but there is room for more. So the master said to the servant, Go out to the country roads and lanes and make people come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, all that none of those who were invited would taste my dinner. 
So people made lots of excuses not to go to the party in the story. I'm not sure whether they were as good as our excuses. But they made their excuses. They didn't want to go. Now, I'm wondering if some of the younger people could help me now, because I want us to think about how you would get ready for a party. So I wonder if any of the young people can think what you need for a party. What do we need for a party to get ready? Hopefully I might have some of the right props. Any ideas? My excuses so you can leave early. Okay, so we've got Jeff's excuses. What else do we need for our party? Dishes. Pardon? Dishes. dishes. Do you know, I have got some dishes. Thank you, Miss Allen. You've started us off. There we go. I've got some plates and I've got some cutlery. That's great. Okay. We're getting there slowly. What else do we need for a party? Cake. Who would like to put this on the table for me? Because it's... Would those boys like to put it on the table for me? Yeah? Do you want to take it and put it on the table? And we've got some cakes that we can put on the special cake plate. So, do you want to pop that? Where do you want to put that? And would you like to put these cakes on for me? Make them look pretty. There we go. We've got some cakes that need to be put on. Bethany, would you like to come and help? Thank you. She was giving me that look that said, please don't ask me. <laughs> right, do you want to pop those on the, the plate? Right, so we've got plates, we've got cutlery, we've got cake. What else do we need for our party? Drink. Drink, yep, I can do that. Obviously, you'll go to the same sorts of parties. This is a good Baptist teetotal party. We have Coke, lemonade, ginger beer, and bitter lemon. Okie dokie. What else do we need for our party? Any other thoughts? Sorry? The crisps fell. Thank you for that, Malcolm. Yep, some crisps. So we'll put some crisps out. There we go. That's okay. It doesn't matter if he eats one. This is a party. There we go. Crisps. Okay, what else do we need for a party? Balloons. We have balloons. Woo! And we have... Um, I think we have not, better not pull these in case Max is asleep, but we have some party poppers. He's out. All oh, right, who would like a party popper then? As Max is out, we can have some party poppers and we can even pull them. There we go. Woo! Anybody like some over here? So you see the people all think they're grown up. They, they kind of look at their feet when I come round with the party puppers. So there we go. We have uh, some party puppers, a few more over here. Anybody that wants them? Okay, so we're getting in the mood. Anything else we need for our party? Oh dear. I think it's a bit noisy. I'm sorry. There's something else we need. We need friends, that's good. And if it's a children's party, I think we need hats. Now, I wonder if you'd like to model this one for me. Look at that. Possibly a weeny bit weeny. But there's a hat, so we could have a hat for our party. Oh, dear. A bit too noisy with all that banging for somebody, I think. Well, there's one other thing that you could have to get ready for a party. So what is this? 
It's not a candle, but you're on the right track. It is a miner's lamp, yeah, okay. It's not quite perfect, but it's an oil lamp. An oil lamp. This is a miner's lamp. This was a leaving present from my old church because it was a mining area, as in fact was the Hillhead area a long time ago. But there's a story in the Bible about people getting ready for a a party who had oil lamps. And so we're going to hear that story read for us now. Our last scripture reading is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 to 12. Again, the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 to 12. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Once there were ten young people who took their oil lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and the other five were wise. The foolish foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take an extra oil with them, while the wise ones took containers full of oil for their lamps. The bridegroom was late in coming, so the woman began to nod and fall asleep. It was already midnight when the cry rang out, here is the bridegroom. Come and meet him. The ten women woke up and trimmed their lamps. Then the foolish ones said to the wise ones, Let us have some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. No, indeed, the wise ones answered, There is not enough for you and for us. Go to the shop and buy some for yourselves. So the foolish woman went off to buy some oil, and while they were gone, the bridegroom arrived. The five who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was closed. Later the other woman arrived. Sir, sir, let us in, they cried out. Certainly not. I don't know you. The bridegroom answered. Thank you. Now, I wonder if the children would like to go up on the stage and make themselves a party hat whilst I talk to the grown-ups. We've got some, some nice party hat stuff up there and some stickers and some felt tips. Leo, if you want to go and make a party hat, you can. Or Bethany, if you want to, but not if you don't want to. Or indeed, if any of the grown-ups want to go and make a party hat rather than listen to me, that is absolutely fine. So the rest of you are going to listen to me. Well, I just hope you made the right choice. Only time will tell. The parables, the stories that Jesus told, were very often a response to somebody asking a question or making a comment. For those of us who've been in church for donkey's years, there's a danger that when we hear those stories, actually, we don't really hear them. What we do is to remember what we once imagined, perhaps when we were as young as our little children, and what we were told the story meant. We are, I think, if we're honest, ever hearing but never understanding to quote Jesus. 
These familiar stories about banquets and weddings, about hosts and guests, have been heard over the years in a very prescriptive way. Ways that may not reflect actually what Jesus meant. Ways that might actually be inconsistent with the internal dynamics of the story. Does it actually fit with how the story goes? And inevitably, these are stories that we hear and interpret in our own context, our custom and practice. When we think of a party, when we think of a wedding, it will be very different from what Jesus' first hearers would have known by those words. And so, actually, are there new ways that we can hear and respond to the stories? There are two banquet parables, one in Matthew and one in Luke. And because there are two, and because they are very similar, there's a tendency to interpret them the same way as being about our response to God's invitation and the perils of rejecting God's invitation. But suppose we could read the story in Luke a bit differently. What if Jesus is actually, true to form, being a bit mischievous and a bit subversive? When Jesus lived, there were very strong social expectations on hospitality. Holding banquets had a very complicated function that had nothing to do with having a good time and everything to do with your status. Holding a banquet and inviting people to come was a clear and visible sign of your wealth, your affluence. Never mind keep up out with the Joneses. This was more like come dine with me, with each host secretly scoring the others and being determined that they could and would do better. They're all set for that thousand pounds or thousand shekel prize had come dine with me existed in those days. But it was more than just showing off how rich you were. It was about honour and status. If somebody invited you to their party, you were honour bound to invite them back to yours. If you were the guest of honour at a party, then you had to reciprocate. And that person had to be guest of honour at your party. And it didn't matter whether you could afford this or not. You had to hold a banquet of your own that was at least as good and preferably better than the one that you'd been invited to. So there's a whole social thing going on here about parties. My party's got to be better than that one and I must invite these people and I've got to put them in the right places. So imagine, says Jesus, that you've planned a banquet You've sent out invitations to all the people who previously invited you. You've bought in the best food you can afford. You've prepared the dining area beautifully. You've got the flowers, you've got the music, you've got the food. And no one comes. Because that's actually how Jesus' story begins. Yes, we hear three excuses probably the least lame of those that might have been, but it's not just that three people said they couldn't come. 
Everybody said they weren't going to come. And these are people who have presumably accepted the invitation. So imagine you're that host. How would you feel? Angry, I would imagine, because you've spent days on days getting ready. You've spent a fortune on food, and it's all beautiful. Humiliated, I would imagine. This is about as big a social snub as you can get. Honour hasn't been satisfied. The codes of polite society have been broken. So what should you do? Well, the host in this story is very resourceful. I'm not going to let this all go to waste. Sends the servants out locally in the area around the house to find people who might appreciate a good meal. People who wouldn't normally get invited to parties because they can't repay the favour. People of low status, people who would normally be overlooked, and they all come in. Now, clearly, this is one big party because there's still space for more people and there's still plenty of food. So the servants get sent out again into the highways and byways. Gather everybody in. And once everybody's in, once everybody's having a good feast, the host in this story, the Luke story, just notes that those who are invited miss out. So here's a question to ponder. If this is a story about a spurned host rather than about rude guests, how do we hear it? What does it say to us as individuals and as a church about how we use our resources? What does it say about what we do when we find ourselves rejected? A man gave a party and no one came. And then we go to Matthew and the story of the ten young girls, usually bridesmaids or virgins, depending which translation you use. I think the word actually just means young women in the Greek. It's usually understood as an eschatological tale. And it leads some people to thinking they know that Jesus Christ will return at midnight. Because the story says, at midnight, the bridegroom came. But interestingly, so I discovered this week, actually the word means in the middle of the night. So, you know, sometime between bedtime and getting up, the bridegroom came. Be a bit careful how we read these things. One of the commentators I was reading this week suggested that this is another story that bears a fresh reading a new imagination, and even perhaps, what happened next? Sounds more like a question of sport that comes on with me, doesn't it? What happened next? The story ends with the door being slammed in the face of the girls, and the bridegroom goes back to his party. Perhaps somebody asked who it was at the door. Somebody who came even later than the bridegroom, who, let's face it, was late. Was it a beggar, perhaps? 
or a lost relative, or a neighbour who needed some food. Oh no, it was, it was five girls. They claimed they'd been off buying oil. I mean, buying oil at this time of night, come on. And what about the five who had gone in? The five that we like to think that we are part of, the ones who were ready, the ones who got it right. What might they have done or said on hearing that the other five were shut out? Did they just keep quiet and have a great time at the party and think, well, hey, you know, we're going to have a great time when we tell them about this party. Just think about that chocolate fountain. Just think about the profiteroles, how much champagne there was. Great dancing. Or did they go up to the bridegroom and say, do you know, actually, there were five other bridesmaids, and yeah, they didn't have any oil, and yeah, we did tell them to go off and buy some oil because there wouldn't have been enough of ours to share with them. And maybe you should let them in. And if they did that, what would have happened? The commentator notes that a wedding banquet is a one-night event. It's not all eternity. In the morning, the doors would open and everybody would go out again back to their normal life. And he asked a question that I think is worth us considering. Is the church guilty of slamming its doors in the faces of those who we think are not ready or not able to meet the requirements for entry? And specifically, he talks about the hurdles and the fences that people have put around the communion table through the centuries. If the banquet story was about people who missed out because of their excuses then this story perhaps is about people who miss out because they're not ready and nobody gives them the chance to come in unprepared. The challenge for us is to think about which of the hosts we might be like in our own lives and as a church. Opening the doors wide, as our slogan says, to welcome people, going out and bringing them in to share the party, or slamming the doors metaphorically in their faces because they've arrived late or unprepared or wearing the wrong clothes or thinking the wrong things. If we were going to write a story about a party to help people understand the gospel for today, I wonder what we would say. One thing we can be fairly certain of is that Jesus enjoyed a good meal. The Gospels are full of accounts of Jesus at meals. He was a popular dinner guest with religious people and with people who were considered to be very sinful. He ate at the home of a leper and at the home of a Pharisee. Or was it actually the home of a leprous Pharisee? 
One thing we can be sure of is that Jesus liked to tell stories. Stories that seemed easy to understand, but actually were rather puzzling. He told stories about parties where the invited guests refused to come. And stories where those who arrived late were shut outside. One thing we can be fairly sure of is Jesus liked to keep people guessing. And so it was that one evening, in a small gathering with his closest friends, a meal was shared that they would never forget. Jesus invites all of us to remember that party, to recreate part of the meal to share in the good news of all that he has done. But first, we are going to bring to the table, in prayer, situations and people known to us who need to know the joy of inclusion, who need to know healing, who need to know hope. I invite you to take that invitation again that I gave you and add to it the names of people or situations where you feel the touch of God's love is needed. And then, when you have done so, to bring them and place them at the foot of the cross on this table. If you're not able to walk, maybe just to ask somebody else to do so. The symbolism may be a bit weird with crisps and cakes and a miner's lamp and prayers together. But somehow in this muddle, God receives our prayers. So we pray as we bring invitations to the cross. We gather our prayers together and the familiar words that Jesus taught his friends using our own first languages. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses and we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, 